You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Well, I, I just want to start off by just giving this disclosure uh, as we're going to talk about finances and how to use money wisely and how to use money God's way. I'm just going to tell you right up front, I am not the smartest thing money has ever met, okay? I, like most of you sitting out there, have made a lot of really dumb, unwise decisions with money. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of just feel like you make a mistake and you think that you're really going to learn from that mistake and never, ever do that again. And I remember the very, very first time I kind of encountered a credit card. I'd been, I was in high school and I had been working for Montgomery Ward in the paint and hardware department. And after one year of employment, one of the perks that they gave you was you got your very own Montgomery Ward credit card. And you could use that credit card to purchase anything in the store. So when I got that card, the first thing that I kind of started flipping through all the paperwork through was to find out what was the credit limit. Credit limit was listed there, and it was $1,500 credit limit. Now, I'm in, I'm in high school, and I say to one of the other guys, are you telling me that I can actually take this credit card and I can buy $1,500 worth of stuff in this store? And they said, yeah, so I did. And I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about, you know, the emotional attachment that we have to money. And I'm going to tell you, just in that one experience, I experienced the full gamut of emotions with that credit card. I mean, I was elated. I was overjoyed. I, I was just exuberant over getting this credit card, having a $1,500 credit limit. I mean, I, I was just beside myself. And you know, after I ran that credit card up and the bills started coming due, I experienced almost the exact opposite emotion, and that was pain and just disappointment and frustration because I had to start paying this thing back with interest. There were some months that I couldn't, I barely made the interest payment on that credit card. I think it took me probably at least two, if not three years to get that sucker paid off. You know what I said to myself? I will never, ever do that again. Six months later, I was back in the same predicament. That's why I said, you know, sometimes I'm not up here preaching on money because I think I do it perfectly. There were a number of people that came up uh, after first service and was just like, oh, thank you for being so, you know, transparent about that. You know, I said, oh, you don't even know the half of it. I said, if you knew how dumb I've been with money, you'd probably just go and find a different church. I said, you know, so, and I said, you know, what's really humbling is when you have to stand up here and you've got to preach on this and your wife is sitting out there in the audience, anybody knows how dumb I've been with money, it's her. And so you kind of feel a little bit hypocritical standing up here preaching on this when she's sitting right out there. So I said to this one guy, I said, you know, just, just to prove this to you, ask her about the time shortly after we were married, she came home and found that I had bought her a Kirby vacuum cleaner. It had all the attachments. I even think it had a coffee maker on it. 
She comes home, and I'm like, I, I am just going nuts vacuuming in the house. I had vacuumed the carpet, the drapes. I had vacuumed the mattress. I mean, I just went crazy. And she, she comes home, and, and part of what Kirby is, is, is we, we hadn't been married, married very long, and so we already had a fairly new vacuum cleaner. Well, with the Kirby people, what they do, um, and this is probably pretty ingenious on their part, is you have to give them your vacuum cleaner in exchange, and they kind of give you like a credit. I think that's kind of just to help you, like you're going to keep this sucker because if you get rid of it, you aren't going to have a vacuum cleaner. And so I just remember her coming home, and I'm really, really excited about this, and I just think she is going to be overjoyed. We hadn't been married very long, so I didn't really didn't understand the whole thing about not buying appliances and vacuum cleaners and things like that as gifts for your wives. So anyway, she comes home, and I'm like all excited about this, and I'm telling her, you know, uh, about it, and she's like, well, how much was this? And so I told her, and she's like, you spent that on a vacuum? Yeah, yeah, but look what all it can do. And I'm just like showing her everything and, you know, vacuuming the drapes. She's like, you spent what on a vacuum cleaner? And I said, yeah, yeah, but look at all it can do. And I mean, I'm trying to sell her on the vacuum cleaner the same way I had been sold on the vacuum cleaner. Well, long story short is we called the Kirby people. I called the Kirby people. They came back, got the vacuum cleaner, and we really had to finagle our way to get our old vacuum cleaner back. And so I, I could stand up here all day and just tell you all of the dumb decisions I have made with money. So I'm not going to stand up here and be preaching at youth and, and want you to think that I've got it all together and that we, I make every financial perfect decision. I don't. It is not an accident that my office is clear back in a corner here in the church where nobody can find me. It is not an accident that I don't answer the phones here at the church because I have zero sales resistant. You call the church, you come to the church, you come to my house, you have something to sell, I will buy it. I have zero sales resistance. So I'm just telling you this up front because again, I don't want you to sit there and to think that I've got this all figured out and that we do all of this perfectly. But again, I've learned a lot of lessons along the road when it comes to finances. Uh, and again, I still make mistakes. We still make dumb decisions with our finances uh, and stuff. But again, it's just important every so often to stop and kind of just talk about this. Because again, from the moment we are born, when we come into this world, we immediately start a business, whether we recognize it or not. And we are the sole proprietor of this business, and we alone are responsible for its profits and for its losses. That business is called life. And in a lot of ways, life is kind of like a business. I mean, growing up, you may have even played a game called life. And a business, it wants to maximize its profits and minimize its losses. You know, the same is true in life. You want to maximize your results and you want to minimize your regrets. And as you look back on your life, just as I do, you're going to find that almost every regret, every mistake that we have made really comes from not making a wise decision in one of these four areas of life. How we allocate our time, and we talked about that last week. How we manage our money, and we're going to talk about that this morning. 
how we treat our physical bodies, how we handle temptation. And as we talked about last week, all of us are guilty of misusing our time. We, we oftentimes let the urgent kind of dominate and take over the important. We kind of want to put off until tomorrow what we really need to do today. And when that happens, oftentimes we just miss some golden opportunities. And so we're going to talk today, and as I've kind of just been really transparent with you, all of us have mismanaged money um, at one time and multiple times probably in our lives. Many of us are guilty of spending too much, saving too little, hardly giving anything to God and to the work of his kingdom or to the needs of others. Oftentimes, we kind of mishandle uh, temptation. We do the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong situation. And some people, it's so tragic because that decision, they end up in jail or in divorce court or in the hospital or they're sitting alone in a dark room, totally depressed because they realize they made a foolish decision. And the thing is, as you get older, you realize the business of life doesn't last forever. In fact, the shelf life, when you look at, you know, in, in the scope of eternity, you realize the shelf life is really relatively short. And every year, the older you get, you kind of just realize how precious uh, and fleeting that is. And that's why I kind of wanted to start off this new year uh, with a series called Wisdom for Life. And you can only run the business of your life in one of two ways, generally. And that is the way you think is best and the way God says is best. And again, when you and I, when we choose to live wisely, when we choose to live life God's way by running the business of our life according to God's principles, what you'll discover is you will live smarter. You will make better decisions. You're gonna maximize your results and you will minimize your regrets. And nothing really affects your relationship to God, to other people, even at times to yourself more than money. And that probably explains why God has so much, the scriptures have so much to say about money. Believe it or not, there are over 2,350 scripture verses alone regarding the issue of money, how to handle it, how to use it. Money is like nitroglycerin. It's okay to handle, but if you mishandle it, it can really blow up in your face. As I was doing Christmas shopping uh, last month, I was really amazed at how many warning labels there are all over toys. You see warning labels really everywhere. You see them on cigarettes, on, on alcohol, soft drinks, even airbags. I think it would probably be a really good idea to put warning labels on money, maybe checkbooks, credit cards. Who knows how many marriages, how many friendships, families have been ruined over again that failure to handle money wisely. Last year, for the first time in five years, Americans who applied for financial counseling did not cite reduced um, income or a job loss um, or a change in job as the main reason for seeking help in financial counseling. The number one reason people gave for going to financial counseling was poor money management. There's a money myth that says most people have money problems simply because they don't make enough money. That's not true. That is a myth. Most people have money problems not because they don't make enough money, but because they have never learned to manage the money they do make. 
There's a reason why millions of people tune in to Suze Orman or Dave Ramsey every day. And again, it's not because they aren't making enough money. It's just simply they don't know how to manage the money they are making. They know how to make it. They know how to spend it. But they don't know how to save it, how to invest it, or how to manage it. Again, contrary to popular opinion, the happiest people in the world are not the people who make the most money, have the most money, or spend the most money. Studies have found the happiest people in the world are the people who have learned to manage the money they have wisely. And tucked away in a book of the New Testament in Hebrews, there are two verses that perfectly capture God's plan, God's vision of how to live wisely with your money. In Hebrews chapter 13, there is a principle found there in those verses that is God's wise financial counsel, and it will enable you and I to manage our money in a way that will give us the biggest bang for our buck. And here is the principle. When you master your money, then and only then can you manage your money. When you master your money, only then can you manage your money. You will never, ever be able to manage your money until you learn how to master your money. And in this Bible verse there in Hebrews 13, we're going to learn two ways this morning that we can do that. The first way is master your money emotionally. Now, the author of Hebrews, who I believe is the Apostle Paul, begins this piece of advice in verse 5, and he says, keep your life free from the love of money. Whether you realize it or not, there is a very strong emotional attachment to money. As a matter of fact, it is so strong of an emotional attachment that some people will sacrifice their children, their marriage, their health, or even their freedom to get it. The love of money is so strong, it is so dangerous, that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, and, and the guy referred to it there in the video, there he says, for the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil. So this love for money, it is a dangerous trap. It is poison, which is why the writer there in Hebrews literally says, get yourself freed from the love of money. Now I'm going to tell you, there are some surefire ways that you can know that you have a battle with the love of money. And I'm just going to give you a few, and there's some on your outline as well. How much do you think about money? Are you always thinking, planning how you can make more money? Are you frustrated that you don't make more money or you don't make enough money? Do you want to make more money just so you can spend more money so that maybe you can buy a newer car or build a bigger house? In 2015, the latest data we have available, the U.S. credit card debt totaled $882 billion. $882 billion just in credit card debt alone in this country. You break that down, that's $15,600 per household. This debt costs the average household $5,000 a year just in interest alone. 
Just think about the money we could save or give if we just eliminated debt. Take the cell phone. Americans spend, are you ready for this, over $500 million a year just on ringtones. $500 million just on ringtones. Do you realize your cell phone comes programmed with a ringtone? We spend another $300 million a year on things like pet rocks, banana holders, and clothes for our dogs. Why? Because we are not masters of our money. Our money is master of us. We are slaves to it. Another sign that you love money is, are you more passionate about making money and spending money than you are about giving money? Are you more passionate about making money and spending money than you are about giving money? Ouch. There's no getting around it. If you would rather make more and spend more than give it, then you probably have a very unhealthy emotional attachment to money. On the other hand, if you love God and love others more than you love money, then you'll get more joy in giving than making it and spending it. Here's the point. Money must be mastered before it can be managed. You cannot manage what you do not master. Loving money, it's kind of one of those catch-22s. You love something that won't love you back, and it's something that will never ultimately satisfy you. If you love money, then how much you'll always want will always be greater than how much you have. So how do you get free? How do you break free from this unhealthy emotional bond, this love of money? Verse 5 goes on and it gives us the key that will unlock the door to free us from the prison of loving money. And it is simply this, be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. So you can be rich in one of two ways, how much you have or how little you want. How much you have or how little you want. Again, the key to mastering your money emotionally is learning to be satisfied with more of what you have and with less of what you want. To put it another way, if you'll increase your contentment with what you have and decrease your desire for what you want, you can free yourself from the love of money. And again, God does not have a problem with you and I making money. As a matter of fact, some of the wealthiest people were biblical characters. They were, they were David and, and Solomon, Abraham, Noah. I mean, these were, these were some of the wealthiest men. So God does not have a problem with people making money. God has a problem with money mastering people. Money cannot master a satisfied heart. The story of a king in a certain country and he suffered from worry and anxiety. He was worried he would lose his kingdom. He was worried he would lose his throne. He was anxious that he would lose his wealth and his power and his authority. So the wisest doctor in the land came to him and examined him and said to him, the only cure to be found was to find a totally contented man and get the shirt from that man and wear it every day. 
So the king sent messengers throughout all the kingdom to find the most contented, satisfied man with orders to bring back his shirt. Months passed, and after a thorough search of the country, the messengers came back to report to the king. The king said, did you find the most contented, satisfied man in the kingdom? And they said, sire, we did find him. As a matter of fact, we have never met a more satisfied and contented man He never worries about a thing. And the king said, then where is his shirt? And they said, sire, he doesn't own a shirt. See, the lion of covetedness can only be tamed with the whip of contentment. When you are satisfied with what you have and thankful that God has given it to you, you will then have mastered your money emotionally. Second way is this, manage your money wisely. We just said the way to master your money emotionally is by becoming satisfied with what you have. But that begs the question, how do you get satisfied with what you have? Listen to the rest of the passage there, beginning in verse 6. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Do you realize there is nothing more foolish than to love something that can or will eventually leave you? Eventually, all of your money will leave you. It'll leave you when you spend it, you waste it, you blow it, or when you die. But one way or another, your money is going to leave you. It's going to forsake you. But God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That is the source of that satisfaction and contentment. And I'm going to just let you in on one secret that will enable anybody to manage their money wisely. And the only, you will only master your money when you allow God to master you. When you make God the master, the Lord, the CEO of your heart, he will become the manager of your money. And the good news is you don't have to be a Wall Street broker. You don't have to be a certified financial planner to manage your money wisely. In the scriptures, God has a money management plan. And he put it in place there in the beginning of time. And the wonderful thing about this is it always works for everyone in every generation, in every circumstance. It never fails. And the reason why so many people get into financial difficulty is because they do the exact opposite of what God says to do. And the reason why we do that is because we put our money where God should be. So we love our money and we try to use God instead of loving God and allowing him to use our money. Again, there's only three things you can do with money, basically, spend, save, and share. And I put those in a particular order for a reason. That is the way the vast majority of us approach, look at, and manage our finances. Let me put it in the form of a pyramid for you. That pyramid looks relatively innocent, But in actuality, it kind of reveals the number one problem most of us have in managing money. In this pyramid, my first priority is me. My second priority is me. It's me, me, me. I spend money on what I want, what I need. I buy all the stuff I can or cannot afford, and then I use whatever's left over to pay my taxes, my credit card debt, my car payment, my mortgage, and whatever other debt I may service or other things I think I need. That's my first priority. My second priority is me. If there's anything 
left over, I may save, I may invest. But for a lot of us, we don't get past that first tier. And then the third priority, the top one there, is God. If there's anything left over after that, I may give. So this is how most of us kind of manage our money. We get whatever we want, then the bank, the government, the credit card company, and others get what they want. If there's any left, God gets the leftovers. And for a lot of folks, this is where the trouble begins. Unfortunately, we run out of money. Before we can pay off our debt or even pay our taxes, we certainly, most of us, run out of money before we ever have anything left to give to God or his work. So we automatically think the solution in this situation is, I gotta get a better job, I gotta make more money, I gotta get more income. But that is not the solution for most, for the most part, and it rarely works, and I'm gonna tell you why. There's a law about money that people either don't understand or ignore when they begin to make more money. The more money you make, the more money you spend on yourself. That, that's how it works for most of us. The number one reason we want a better job, we want higher income, more money, we ask for a raise is so we can spend more on ourselves. We rarely ask for it. We rarely approach it. We rarely desire it because we want to save more or share more with God or others. By the way, the government has the same problem we do, right? If there's a shortfall in the government, what do they do? Raise your taxes. Okay, so it shouldn't actually surprise us that we find it really hard to manage our money when the government above us and around us mismanages money. Think about it. We say we need to make more. The government says they need to make more, to take more. And our culture says you need to spend more. So we're constantly being told, don't leave home without it. Buy one, get one free, or diamonds or forever, or every kiss begins with K, right? You deserve the very best. So we're bombarded with those messages in our culture. So the government wants to take more, the culture wants us to spend more, and so the logical conclusion on our part is, I gotta make more. But I want to tell you, God has a better way, a wiser way. And the only way, both in the short run and in the long term, to manage money more wisely, and it's gonna be counterintuitive to what most people believe and what most people practice. And God's money management strategy is not to increase your income, but to increase your outgo. And here's the way God's pyramid looks. Share, save, spend. Remember, you master your money only when you allow God to master you. And when God is allowed to master you, he will master your money. And when he manages your money, the first priority will be giving to God and sharing with others, not spending. Think about it this way. There's a race for your money, and giving should always come in first. Let me put it another way. When God is first, giving is first. If God is last, giving is last. The way you prioritize your money will either bring God into your financial situation more and more, or it'll completely shut God out. When you put God first in your life, God will put giving first with your money. So let's just take these priorities in order. The first thing you should do with your money is give to God, the first part of it. The richest man who ever lived, Solomon, 
was one of the wisest money managers, and he shared this wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, and he said, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Remember, this is written kind of in an agricultural society. King Solomon said, you take the first calf you have, you take the first vegetables or, or uh, fruit and, and, and you give that to God. And in doing that, that is one way that you honor the Lord. When God is first in your life, giving will be first with your money. When you give God the first part of your money, again, he will help you manage the rest of your money because even a farmer knew that it was God and God alone who fills the barns with crops. It's God who fills the vats with wine. The farmer can only sow, but it is God who brings the increase. So again, you share your money, starting with God and then helping others that are in need. Second tier is you save money. I want you to understand that I realize for a lot of you, maybe you are kind of got some pretty overwhelming debt uh, over your heads right now, and you're kind of thinking, that's just unrealistic. You're like maybe the former professional golfer from Georgia, Doug Sanders, who said this, I'm working as hard as I can to get my life and my cash to run out at the same time. If I can die right after lunch on Tuesday, everything will be great. That's true, right? So maybe you're here and you're just kind of convinced yourself it's impossible because of where you are financially or in, in debt. It's impossible to save money. But I just want to challenge your thinking. Everybody can save something. The typical average American isn't saving much of anything. A report from interest.com finds that the median household savings nationwide is zero. Most people have no, nothing uh, in their savings account and the average American uh, right now has $668 left over each month after paying all their bills. So if you would just even take just a couple dollars, $20, and just set that aside, you can do that by foregoing lunch. I read the other day that if you were to save $2 a day, every day, for 30 years, at the average rate of return of the stock market since its inception, you would have $82,696, $2 a day, every day for 30 years. It can be done. Story of a woman who saw a man smoking cigarettes and she decided to take the opportunity and to set him straight. So she walked up to him and she said, how many packs of cigarettes do you smoke a day? And he said, three. She said, well, how much does each pack cost you? And he said, $5. And she said, well, how long have you been smoking? And he said, well, 10 years. Why? She said, did you know that if you saved all that money from smoking cigarettes, you could have bought yourself a Lamborghini by now? That man said, wow. He said, do you smoke? The woman replied, absolutely not. And then he said, well, then where's your Lamborghini? Another way to begin saving money, again, is just pay off debt. After giving and saving, that really should be your third priority. Why is paying off debt saving? Interest, it'll work for you or it'll work against you. That first credit card I got, interest worked against me. 
When you're paying off debt, again, it works against you. But when you're saving, interest works for you. Retiring debt so you can take the same money and save it, again, flips the chart. Financial guru Dave Ramsey, he says this, dump your debt. Make a plan. Set a deadline. Eat off one bite at a time. Have a goal and a deadline and do it. Finally, that third tier, that top tier there, you get to spend your money. Guess what you are spending? What's left over? Even here, again, you got to be careful that you're spending that money wisely. Let me just give you a tip that will go further than anything else in helping you to do that. Pay cash or don't buy it. Now, the only exception to that, obviously, is when you're buying a house, and the only other exception may be um, a car. Other than that, the two best things you can do in spending your money is get out of debt and stay out of debt. Somebody once said that people can be divided into three classes, the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not paid for what they haves. God's goal for you is not only to be in the haves category, but to be in the haves so you can give and love God and not your money. As a rule of thumb, remember, it's all right to borrow for necessities, but always pay cash for luxury. So I want to just challenge you as we close here this morning. Again, as we're starting off a new year, and maybe for some of you, this is already kind of part of your New Year's resolution. You want to, you know, maybe get your finances more under control. You want to kind of maybe uh, spend your money more wisely. I would just ask you, just to take kind of what we've talked about here, these, these simple steps here, and, and just for the next month or, or two, just, just committing yourself today to maybe changing just some bad patterns or bad habits and, and just kind of begin to launch into this new year with a commitment to manage and to spend your money more wisely. So maybe for the, the next couple of months when you, you get a paycheck, okay, First thing you do is just give to God or, or, and or share with others that are in need, okay? Second thing is save. Even if it's just a, a small fraction of your paycheck and then next, uh, your, debt, your, your payment to debt. Again, I know for some of you, maybe the debt right now that you're in is just enormous. It's so big that you just kind of feel overwhelmed in that. Um, again, I always like to say, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And you just kind of begin, even in small increments, you just begin to eat away at that debt. I guarantee you, in time, you will get that um, paid off. Now again, before you protest to, to all of this, just ask yourself this question. How is the way you've been doing it working for you? Jesus didn't just die on the cross to save us. He also went to the cross so that he could be Lord over every area of our lives, including our financial lives. And if you truly believe that uh, through Christ that God gives you eternal life, then you can also rest assured that God will give you everything you need. May not give you everything you want, but God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Again, when you let him master and, um, your heart and manage your money, 
I'm just telling you, the, 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 the outflow, the outcome of that is going to be, is you're just going to see great and tremendous blessings and benefits for your life as you just spend and use your money wisely according to God's standards. Amen? Let's just stand together this morning. God, again, we just, we come this morning, and God, we just ask, Lord, that as we are, again, just standing at the threshold of a new year, and God, as maybe we look back in past years, Lord, and like me, there's people here that maybe just have a lot of regret for the way that they've managed or used money up to this point. And God, I would just ask that you would remind me and to remind all of us here that your mercies are new each day. That God, we can just start afresh anew today. And so God, I just ask, Lord, in that area of finances, especially for those of us, Lord, that are struggling, that maybe just have had years and years of just accumulated bad money management, just using um, our money unwisely. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us just to begin to make that shift away from those unhealthy, unproductive patterns and habits. And God, that we would begin to just have some breakthrough into new areas of living and managing our money. And so God, we just ask, Lord, that you would come and just be Lord over every area of our life, particularly that area of our finances. So God, would you just begin to, to just shift? Would you just begin to kind of just remake and, and remold our, our thoughts and our actions, our attitudes, our habits toward money? God, would you just begin to shift that? And God, just begin to transform our thinking more and more into yours. And again, God, we just thank you, Lord, that there is forgiveness for the past. We may have uh, to pay off some debt, God, but we know that there is forgiveness. And God, that when we just begin to use our money wisely and in godly ways, that, Lord, you're going to bless that. And, God, you're going to enable us to get out of these, uh, these debt loads, God, just, just more quickly. And so, God, again, we just ask, Lord, for your your patience uh, as, as, again, as, as we're just growing and, and we're learning to be more and more like Jesus, particularly in that area with our money. And we just thank you, God, for your patience with us, your long-suffering. And God, again, we just ask, Lord, that you would just give us the mind of Christ in this area, that we can honor you with our wealth, that we can be a blessing to you, to your kingdom, that we can be a blessing to those that are in need. Father, again, we just ask, Lord, that you would break any kind of unhealthy emotional attachment, bondage that, that money has over us. God, we just ask, Lord, that you'd break that over us. And God, again, God, just again, to, to renew our thinking uh, concerning that. And Father, again, we just thank you, Lord, for this reminder that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. No matter how foolish we've been with money, we thank you, God, that you'll never lead us. Each day is a new day. We just thank you again, God, for your tender mercies. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.